Welcome to the National Capital Bible Church, everyone. It's good to see you all. Before we proceed, let's take a moment of silence for spiritual preparation. And uh, then I'll open with prayer and then call to worship. Let us pray. Father, what a privilege it is to be able to come together on a Sunday morning to worship you in spirit and in truth. It truly is a privilege. Many are not able to do this, and so we count it a privilege, Father. We're safe here. We can worship you with no distractions at all. And Father, we, I asked if, there, if anyone is bothered by something, um, that we would just lay those things aside for the moment so that we can focus on Thee and focus on Thy Word. Thank You, Father, for allowing us to get back in fellowship with You by just uh, confessing our sins. There's nothing that we have to do. We don't have to exert any effort on our part simply to just acknowledge our wrongdoings, our shortcomings, and immediately we are cleansed and forgiven from all unrighteousness. Thank You, Father. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Call to worship is taken from Psalms 107. Psalms 107. I thought this would be a great way to stabilize us as we come back to church on a Sunday morning after a grueling week. Psalms 107 would reference to Israel. Listen closely to these verses, beginning with verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For his mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So that's all of us here. Whom he has redeemed from the name, from the hand of the enemy and gathered out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Again, in reference to Israel, but this applies to us as well. They wandered in the wilderness in a desolate way. They found no city to dwell in. They were hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted in them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And they delivered, he, he delivered them out of their distresses. He led them forth by the right way. That they might go to a city for a dwelling place. Verse 8, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. For He satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. Those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, bound in affliction and irons, because they rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. Therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down, and there was none to help. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. Please notice in 13 that they cried out to the Lord in the midst of their trouble. And then he steps in, and he saves them out of their distresses. That's phase two. He brought them out of the darkness and of the shadow of death and broke their chains in pieces. 
Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. For He's broken the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron in two. Notice the detail here. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all manner of food. Please notice that their bodies was rejecting food at this point. There, was, there must have been some kind of sickness. Their soul abhorred all manner of food and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. This is similar to the prodigal son. And he saved them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing, giving thanks. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens and they go down again to the depths, the water. Their soul melts because of their trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at the wit's end. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble. Notice the repetition of the crying out of Israel. And he always delivers them. They cry out to the Lord in their trouble and he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that its waves are still. Then they are glad because they are quiet. They are no longer afraid. He guides them to their desired haven. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him and in the assembly of the people praise him in the company of elders. He turns rivers into wilderness and the water springs into dry ground. A fruitful land into barrenness. For the wickedness of those who dwell in it. I can go on and on, but you can finish this during the week. But I want you to notice that throughout this chapter, you notice that every time Israel would cry out, God would respond. That's similar to what we hear in, read in Romans where he says, Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So it's the idea of calling out to God in the midst of our distress and problems. Many times the reason why we don't get answers to our problems is because we don't even pray. We're too busy focused on the other things rather than going to God directly. The repetition of Him answering and intervening calls for worship. You see this repeatedly in Psalms 107. As you know, we've been going through basics, phase two, salvation, and I'm going to look closely at two verses from James. Well, not really closely, but I'm going to bring out some points 
taken from James. But before I do, and before I share my verses that I normally do, how many of you remember the reel-to-reel tapes uh, that uh, Colonel Theme used to use? You guys remember that? What was the purpose for that? Why did he have those reel-to-reel tapes? What was the purpose? What was the function of these reel-to-reel tapes? Review the lessons. Very good. Now, those reel-to-reel recordings are taken when? When are they recorded? During the teaching. And what's the purpose for that? So we can review the lessons, correct? You have these reel-to-reel tapes and they're a copy of Colonel Theme's messages, right? But I would venture to say that these reel-to-reel tapes are not the actual master copies that you get when you request for them, right? You get a copy of the master copy. That makes sense, right? Why do we they why do they not give you the master copy? There's only one. And the one is used to make more copies so that everyone can have a copy of the teaching of God's word. Does it make sense? Now likewise having said that, we have one master His name is Jesus Christ. As a follower of Christ, we're supposed to be copies of the one master. He's counting on you and me to be a replication of the one master. There's only one master. Does that make sense? So you and I, when we go outside and we interact with people, They're getting a copy. They're not getting the master because there's only one master. But they're supposed to be getting a copy of the master who is none other than Jesus Christ. And so as we go through this study, I'm not here to educate you and just give you more information. But I'm hoping that this will transform you so that you'll be more like the master copy but you are the copy. And what good, what good is the reel-to-reel copies if we don't use them? What, ha- what did they use after the reel-to-reel? Cassette tapes. You would get 30 at a, a month, right? Unless you have two names like I used to do. <laughs> I'd put it under my wife's name, my son's name who wasn't born yet, and my daughter's name, and you would get 30 per name per household. Per month. Again, the same rule applies. You get 30 a month. Those copies are to be utilized to your edification. And likewise, when we study together, we're supposed to be getting a copy of the Master. So please remember that you are to be followers of Christ, disciples of Christ, ambassadors of Christ. And and as we learn together... We're supposed to make a difference out there so that when the world looks at us, they're seeing a copy of the master. It's kind of like movies. Um, Anybody go to a movie theater lately? Debbie? 
what do they do in the before the actual movie shows? What the previews, previews of coming attractions, right? The coming movies. We are previews of something that's forthcoming. The 1,000 year millennium is coming soon after the seven year tribulation, of course. But we are previews of what's forthcoming. And so when the world looks at us, they're wanting to say, I want to watch that. I want to be a part of that. So we have to make sure that we replicate and duplicate the master accurately. Something else that came to mind is um, 9-11. What happened during 9-11? Tragedy happened, right? You had people from another culture, another world, invade America. They had a false ideology, a false teaching, but they were committed. They were committed to a false belief system. But you can't fault them for what they did as far as their commitment levels. They were willing to risk everything, including their lives. That, my friends, is the mark of a true disciple. When you put him or your religion first, our religion is not a religion per se, but it's a relationship. We should be willing to put him first at all cost. Risk it all for him. Risk it all for Christ. All because of that one incident, it radically changed our world. It impacted the world, but it especially impacted our country. And something was formed as a result of that. How many of you heard of Homeland Security? That came into existence because of 9-11. The airports... You have to stand in a long line now because now you're being checked. Everything was impacted and affected. Our entire lives were affected because of the evil of what had transpired in 9-11. But my point is, these men, evil as it was, they impacted us and we're still feeling the impact. Let us rise to the occasion, church, and let's impact the world for Jesus Christ. And the only way we're going to be able to do that is if we take what we're studying together and not just take copious notes and say, oh, I got this. I I know what phase one and phase two is. James argues it's don't be hearers only, but be doers. Let's impact the world If evil people can do it, so can we. But we have a greater cause. Eternity is in the balance. Let's never forget that. If we don't do our part, people are going to spend eternity apart from God in the lake of fire. So having said that, as you know, the simplicity of the gospel can be found in these verses. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son 
that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already, because he does not believe in the only begotten name of the begotten Son of God. But as many as received him, to them he gave them the right to become children of God to those who received him. I'm jumbled this morning. I got a little too excited with all the things that I was sharing today. Well, let me start all over. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already, because he does not believe in the name of the only begotten son of God. But as many as received him, to them he gave them the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, for by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. So having said that, let's just transition into our study and we're going to... See something. I'm going to review some verses in the past just to bring us back up to speed and just to make sure that we're trekking on the same page here. And then I'll dive into James. You'll recall a relationship and fellowship with God are to be distinguished. Very important to know. Otherwise, you'll be working on this, the wrong, the wrong thing. We're not to work on a relationship with God. We're to work on our fellowship with God. Both are relational, but they are both different. Okay. Relationship relates to our position in Christ. That's a one-time deal. That's why I make that minute deta- distinction of relationship and fellowship. Relationship takes place when you believe in Jesus Christ. You don't have to fix that because it's a one-time deal. Fellowship, on the other hand, fluctuates. Fellowship relates to our experience with Christ. Our relationship with Christ is not visible to the eye, but our fellowship and discipleship should be visible to the eye. We find this in John 13. 34 to 35. 1 John 1.9 must be the standard operating procedure or SOP for the believers to sustain what? Fellowship with God. This is how we get back into fellowship with God because if we grieve God the Holy Spirit, we're in trouble. We're operating from the energy of the flesh. And as I've said before, if you violate any of these... You grieve God the Holy Spirit, which prevents you from walking by means of the Spirit, resulting in no power to live the spiritual life. The believer will be operating from the energy of the flesh, also known as carnality, and we saw an example of that taken from 1 Corinthians 3. All they were doing was there was jealousies, there was tension, argumentation, and Paul said, I can't teach you solid food. Remember that? I can't teach you solid food because you are in sin. There's jealousies among you. You're picking Paul 
and you're siding back and forth, and so um, I can't give you solid food. I have to go back to the basics of milk. Could that be the reason why some of our Christian friends are not advancing? They don't understand the importance of confessing and making sure they're not grieving God the Holy Spirit. It's possible. Remember, um, grace relates to salvation. Works relates to discipleship. So if you're going to be focused on your works, then that's related to discipleship. What should drive discipleship is love for God, not grace or works. Love for God. If you love me, obey me. Discipleship is hard. Being a Christian is not hard. Not all cogs are fogs. Remember that? Not all children of God are friends of God. What's the difference? A friend of God is someone who's obeying, someone who's loving God, someone who's an ambassador, sharing their faith, um, representing Christ, abiding in Him. Number six, to be a friend of God requires obedience. That's the primary difference there between a child of God or a cog and a fog. As a friend of God, you are constantly looking for ways to obey Him. Remember, the sin of omission is sin of commission. That falls into six, depending on whether or not you are focused on obeying God and pleasing God. Number seven, to be a child of God requires faith. How many times do you have to exercise faith in Him to be a child of God? One time. That's under phase one. So if you are a believer in Christ, you're safe and secure. You're set for how long? Eternally. That's why you don't have to work on your relationship with God. You have to work on your fellowship with God. Faith must be understood in relation to salvation, phase one or phase two. Faith in phase one is only used one time. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Faith in phase two is used daily. Obeying God, trusting God, living in spite of the circumstances. We don't walk by sight, but by faith. To experience the resurrection power, we looked at this before a few months ago. The word abide means to remain, stay, reside, or dwell. It's that Greek word meno, remember? Abide for the believer means to obey his words or commands as per 1 John 3.24. So that's what it means to abide, to obey. Salvation requires us to believe in Jesus as Savior, John 4.42 Discipleship requires us to obey Jesus, Luke 6, 46. So, obey versus believe. When someone says, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, what they should mean, what that should mean is, I'm saved by faith and I'm a disciple by volition, by choice. Okay, he is my Lord and Savior. People use that loosely too. He's my, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. But technically... If they break that apart, what that means is that I'm saved by faith and I'm a disciple by choice because they're not the same. They're different. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. It's possible to know God in the salvation sense. 
but not intimately, even after three years, as seen with Philip. You'll recall in John 14:9, Show us the Father. Have I not been with you thus long? Number seven, violate any of these and you grieve God the Holy Spirit. Again, you'll notice these points that I'm bringing out. If you violate any of these, you grieve God the Holy Spirit. You're not in tune with His Word. You're not uh, familiar with His Word. You violate study and show yourself approved, so you're not. And so you blur the two. He's my Lord and Savior. What I mean is I'm obeying. I'm really believing. I'm not sure what I'm doing. So we have to know these terms in its context. Now you might be saying, God, he's so picky. Why it's so it's a minor detail. But these minor details make a sense over time. If you um, are going to represent him, we have to make sure we're representing him accurately for self and for others. Again, we're just trekking through. I'm, I'm focusing on the middle section here, as you'll recall. So now, let's look at James. I'm going to bring out in verse 2, I intend on showing, bringing out 14 points in this one verse. Just some observations, okay? So if you're a note taker, be ready. Oh, let's see. Let me show these verses here first. Remember James 2. Whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. We also saw in James 4.17, Therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. So what's another way of saying verse 17? If you were to explain this to your friend, how would you explain verse 17? Anybody? If your conscience convicts you, okay. Anybody else? Very good. Dan, what else? An example of omission. So, therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Okay. How about the the first one, James 2.10? For whoever shall keep the whole law There's 1,050 commandments in the New Testament and 613 in the Old. If you attempt to keep the whole law and yet stumble in one, he is guilty of how much? Guilty of it all. Okay. And you'll recall Ephesians 4.30. Again, I'm just um, reminding us to show that this is important. Because if we violate anything here, we grieve God, the Holy Spirit, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Ephesians 4.30 and 1 Thessalonians 5.19. These are the only negative, the commands in the New Testament with reference to God, the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve, do not quench. 
This speaks of the Holy Spirit, so we are not to do these. So now let's go to James 1 2. Grieving is when you commit a sin, a moment's sin. Quenching is you're suppressing the Holy Spirit by living an ongoing sin. That's the way that I see it. The prodigal son would be an example of someone who's quenching the Spirit. Grieving is when you have a mental thought, a fleeting thought, and you say, oh, So you, what do you do? You get back in fellowship. Lord, I shouldn't have had that evil thought. I shouldn't have had that lustful thought. So you confess it. You grieve God, the Holy Spirit, when you commit any sins, be it mental, overt, or verbal. So quenching is you're maintaining that status quo. You're living like that. So if a person is in open rebellion, for example, and God is nudging you and you're saying, no, I don't want to go to church anymore. I don't want to open my Bible anymore. And the Holy Spirit is prompting and convicting you to do something and you resist. That's stifling the the Holy Spirit. That's quenching the Holy Spirit. It's the idea of quenching, like dousing a fire out with water. You're saying, I don't want you in my life. Okay? We all commit, I think, the first one more than the second one, where we grieve. Because our thoughts are always fleeting. Someone cuts us off, oh, sunny beach. Right? We, we have whatever. We get mad easily. We fire up. Sin nature is alive. Which is why the more that we know what's wrong, we can fix it. We can, okay, I probably grieve the spirit by that thought or by that word. So we first John 1, 9. Because if we commit grieving or quenching, that impacts our relationship with God, the Holy Spirit, who is our what? He's our comforter. He's our helper. He's the one who empowers us. He's the one who leads us. He's the one who illuminates this. Illuminates truth. We can't do this on our own. It's the Holy Spirit who interacts with the human spirit that allows us to understand God's word. You can't do this on your own. So when we grieve him, we're no longer under his influence. That's what it means when we talk about being under the influence. Filled with the spirit, not... Don't be drunk with wine, but be... What's that mean? Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Galatians. What's that talking about? When you're under... When you drink a lot of alcohol, what are you... If you get a ticket, what do you, what's the ticket called? DUI. He doesn't, Paul doesn't want us to be under the influence of alcohol. He wants us to be under the influence of the Spirit of God. So don't be under the influence of the wine, but be under the influence of the Spirit. So be filled, be under the influence of the Spirit. That's the idea there. Be under the influence of the Spirit, not of wine. So when we grieve, we're no longer under the influence of the Spirit. Is that important? Is it important to be under the influence? Yes. Why? Because that's where we get our power from. That's where we get the peace, the stability. That's where we allow, that's where God, the Holy Spirit, helps us make sound decisions. Those decisions come from an inculcation of Bible, God's Word, Bible doctrine. 
So the more that we study it, it's, it becomes a part of us. So when we're by ourselves and Everett's by himself during the week and he gets slammed with a problem. You ever get hit with a problem, Everett? Once in a while? Okay, so when Everett gets hit with a problem, now all the things that he's learned, God the Holy Spirit has something to utilize. He can bring that to remembrance when the going gets tough. So that we're going to see in just a moment in verse 2 that this is part and parcel of going from a cog to a fog, a child of God to a friend of God. James, The book of James is loaded with verses that transfers us from a child of God to a friend of God. We're going to see, probably not, we're not going to go through the whole book, but we're going to see some important verses here. For example... The words, my brethren, we looked at this last week, show that the teaching to follow is exclusively for believers in Christ. I always say in Christ because so many people say I'm a believer and yet, you know, I'm not even sure if they really are because of their, when you talk to them, when did you become a Christian? Well, I, when I was baptized. Is that when a person becomes a believer? Not at all. That's like saying I became a car when I went in the garage. You don't become a car when you go in a garage. The words, my brethren, show that the teaching to follow is exclusively for the believer in Christ. For those who've passed through phase one. Number two. The words, all joy, come first in the sentence are, and are emphatic. Emphatic means with emphasis. So if Kareen says, Joshua, I'm not going to tell you again, I want you to go to bed by 9. That's emphatic. Go to bed by 9. She wants him to know to, be, to go to bed at 10, right? If he goes to bed at 10, he's in trouble. He has to go to bed at 9 because of school. So counted all joy is actually in the front and it comes first, and it's emphatic. Count it all joy. Now you might be wondering, why? Why am I supposed to count it all joy when you fall into various trials? How in the world am I going to count it all joy when I'm going through hardship? Number three, the imperative, hegeomai, is to consider or count. And this is the first of 59 commands in James. There are 59 commands in the book of James. And it, so this moves you to phase two, which means if it's applied. <clears throat> Number four, this mental attitude is from a settled confidence that everything that happens to us is intended to be an instrument to bring us to spiritual maturity. God has a purpose. How many times have you said that? Oh, honey, the reason why we're going through hardship is because God has a purpose. Have you ever said that before? It's true. There's a purpose here. It's embedded in verse 2 of James 1. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, it's not clearly 
discernible in verse 2. We'll see that come out in verse 3, though. It's from a settled confidence that everything that happens to us is intended to be an instrument to bring us to spiritual maturity. God really does have a purpose for us. That's number four. Number five, joy is a mental attitude that views an event and sees how it can make us grow. Looking by faith, not by sight. Can someone tackle 2 Corinthians 5.7? What's 2 Corinthians 5.7 say? Do you have your Bible? Or we walk by faith, not by sight. So we walk by faith, not by sight. What's another way to say that? Like as Everett would say, if, you're, if, you, don't, if you have your friend and you want to explain this, walk by faith, not by sight. How do I understand that? Because that ties in with my last point, number five. It's a mental attitude that views an event and sees how it can make us grow. What does it mean to walk by faith, not by sight? You're trusting in the Word. Okay, you're trusting in the Word. Good. What else? Tighten it up just a little bit more. Trusting in the Word. That's this. Spiritual. Spiritual viewpoint over human viewpoint. Okay, very good. What else can we say to our new convert, new fr- a believer who came to faith last night? I don't get this. Consider it all, count it all joy when you fall into various trials and I'm supposed to look at it and know that this is going to be good for me? How do you do that? Consider it all joy, count it all joy. Depending on your translation, count it all joys, New King James. It's an attitude that views an event and sees how it can make us grow. And then coupled with Second Corinthians five seven, we walk by sight, we walk by faith, not by sight. What's that mean? Help me out. What's that mean to walk by faith, not by sight? Someone might say, that's crazy. <laughs> but that, that's Charles Stanley. I would believe that he would say something like that. He was a phenomenal pastor for so many years. I met, we met him back in 2000. Where were we when we, we went to Massachusetts? He had some book signing thing and we took pic- pictures with him. It was nice, very nice. Walk by faith, not by sight. What else can we say? Ah, okay, I like that. The Lord will do what he says in no matter what. So another way of looking at Second Corinthians five seven is look, it says walk by faith, not by sight. In spite of your circumstances, Freddie, you can trust God. Okay, the Bible is telling us we don't walk by sight. Isn't that what Peter did when he fell? In the, in, when Jesus said, come here towards me, walking on the water. 
the, that's a visual picture there. Peter, come to me. He was looking at the sharks that were there underneath him and he fell. And 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, we don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. So in spite of your circumstances, in spite of the fact that your bills are piling up, in spite of the fact that relationships may not going the best, in spite of the fact that you have might have tension with your in-laws or your family, in spite of all that, you can trust in Him. You can work thing. You can know that He's going to work things out together for good because you love Him. So, in spite of the circumstances, the calamity, you don't walk by the calamities. You don't walk by the enemies. The God's people could have said, "Okay, the Egyptians are that way. The Red Sea is this way. Moses is telling us to go this way." There's water there. We're going to drown. They didn't walk by sight. They walked by faith. Okay? So you might be going through hardship right now. You might be going through hell right now. But God can see you through. But it requires faith. And it requires you cooperating with God. That's the thing too. This is why I'm spending time uh, um, itemizing these things that were that are embedded in the one verse. This is only one verse, and we have six points here. This teaching is for you. Point number one. Point number two. All joy comes in the in the in the first in the sentence and and is emphatic. Count it all joy. Consider it all joy. The imperative count is the first of fifty nine commandments. There's fifty nine commandments in the book of James alone. That means there are instructions. How many of you know two other commands from James? Anybody know some of the commandments in James? This is one. Huh? Endure? Okay. Very good. So that's another one. So there's... uh, 57 more. So, would it be safe to say if you don't know the 59 that you're probably violating some of them? And if you are, would that be considered grieving the Spirit? So, if we don't know these things, it's important for us to know what we're doing that is causing us to be short-circuited. My phone, if I'm not going to charge it up now every now and then, won't work. We need to get plugged into the power source on a regular basis if we want it to be useful. If not, we have dead weight, paperweight. So now, here's point number six for verse two. Some of these may just sound like I'm repeating it, but I want to drill it in for emphasis. Trials are for all believers without exception. Trials. 
Trials come impromptu and unexpected. Still with verse 2. Remember we pointed out that it says when, not if. When you fall into various trials. So this is there, there's certainty here. When you fall into various trials. Trials are going to be different as seen by the word various. When is a particle used for things that one knows will occur? When. The word when is used for certainty that one knows will occur. So James knows that this will happen in your life and mine. When you fall into various trials, my brethren, count it all joy. Ten, the word fall or encounter means to be to descend into something so as to be enclosed. So it's this visual, it's this idea of being surrounded with problems. You'll be descending into something and you'll be enclosed, almost like a... What's it called? Like a tar pit. Yeah, there you go. Or a ditch. You're going to be enclosed. My brethren, consider or count it all joy when you fall into this tar pit, into various trials. That's number 10. Number 11. In God's divine plan, you have dreadful days coming. Amen? (laughs) Unfulfilled prophecy here. For each and every one of us. In God's divine plan, you have dreadful days coming. This one verse is telling us. Number 12. A trial is a divinely ordained difficulty that God causes or permits so that he may grow us and conform us into the image of his son. And uh, Bill, can you read Romans eight twenty-eight to 29 with emphasis on 29? So again, a trial is a divinely ordained difficulty that God causes or permits so that he may grow us and conform us into the image of his son. So he predestined us to be conformed into the likeness of his son. So these trials, these preordained trials, these divinely ordained difficulties that we sometimes go through, he causes it or permits it. Permits it because we have volition. And so we sometimes 
will clash with other people because he will not override one's volition. Sometimes if we're not thinking on the same page and we're not applying doctrine in our situation, there's going to be a clashing of people and personalities, whether in church, family, and the like. But he will not override our volition. So that's why he said he will allow us, he'll either cause it or permit it. So when we don't always see eye to eye, there's going to be tension. But he will permit it so that it will cause us to grow. And that somehow is going to conform us into the image of his son, the likeness of his son. So the problems that he allows in our lives ultimately are designed to move us closer to him, to make us look more and more like him. That's point number 12. Point number 13. Trials are designed to move you from infancy to spiritual maturity. Infancy to spiritual maturity. Infancy to spiritual maturity. So the idea is always going up, ramping upwards. Okay. So as we mature, the sin issue becomes less intense and the it's going the opposite direction now. It's taking a nosedive as we're growing and maturing. Our strength is being fortified, spiritually speaking, and the intensity and the struggle of sin becomes weaker and weaker over time, not because sin isn't real, but because we're getting stronger. So they're designed to move you from infancy to spiritual maturity. I had pointed out last week that it's kind of like exercising. You go to the gym and you go through hardship. You push your muscles. It hurts the following day, sometimes for a week. But it's not because you're getting weaker. It's because you're getting stronger. So trials are designed to move you from infancy to maturity. So what's the bottom line to all of this? It's number 14. Bottom line, you have bad days on purpose for a purpose. You have bad days on purpose because of God for a purpose because of God. He's always doing something. The hardship is for your benefit. It's for your benefit. How do we know that? Well, now verse 3 connects with verses 2, 1 and 2. But 2 was the verse prior to this. Please notice. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. So verse 2, the, the count it all joy is because James knows that the testing of your faith produces patience. So part of the trials is designed to test your faith, not your muscle, not your commitment, your faith. You see it there? The testing of your faith, ultimately it's going to result in more patience. It's producing patience. So, several points here. Six points in the one verse here. It's one thing to tell your teacher that you know the material. It's another thing to write the correct answers on the test. Does it make sense? You could, oh, I got that teacher. I got that prof. Well, when the test comes, he's going to know whether or not you really know the material. Practically speaking, you might be saying amen on Sunday. Oh yeah, praise the Lord. Come Tuesday, 
Are you still able to say praise the Lord? That's basically the same thing. It's one thing to tell your teacher that you know the material, but it's another thing to write the correct answers on the test. Why am I saying that? Because verse 3 is the answer to verse 2. You can count it all joy when you encounter various trials and you get into that tar pit because you know the testing of your faith is producing patience, or another word is endurance. Number two, the word knowing is a participle which knowledge is how we are able to maintain the attitude commanded of us in verse two. So the idea is because we know, how do we know this? From the word of God. Knowing that the testing of your faith results or produces patience. That should allow us to maintain the attitude commanded in verse two. We can maintain that proper divine attitude, divine viewpoint, as we know that the reason why we can go through hardship and consider it all joy, it's doing something in me. What is it doing? It's making me a better person. It's helping me. It's testing my faith to, to, to see if I know and I believe what I say I know and what I believe during the trials of life. That doesn't come in church. You might be able to interact with me on a Sunday morning and say, oh yeah, that's phase two, that's phase one. How about when Tuesday comes along? Is phase two activated in your life? Can you consider it all joy when you're hit with a trial? I'm telling you, you know that the testing of your faith results in patience. So you should be able to say, okay, I'm going through hardship right now. But I know that somehow... It's test, God is allowing it to test my faith, which will result in what? Patience. Is that a good thing? Yes, it is. That's building you up. That's conforming you into the likeness of Christ. Does Christ have patience? Does Christ have endurance? Yes, he does. Is he conforming you to the likeness of Christ? Yes, he is. How do we get there? Consider it all joy when you get hit with various trials. How many of you are going through trials? You don't have to raise your hands. More likely, all of you. Most of you. Well, guess what? The testing of your faith is on the board right now. It's in the center. It's in, it's the focus right now. He's testing your faith. Are you going to say amen to God? Am I going to say, I'm going to walk by faith, not by sight? I can consider it all joy. Because I know it's going to produce patience in me. I know that it's testing my faith. God wants to see if I really trust Him. Do I really trust Him? How are you going to know if you trust God or not unless you go through hardship? How are you going to know whether or not He's faithful unless you go through hell? Did I say French? Is that my French? I'm sorry. But I want to be real here, okay? How are you going to know if God is faithful unless you go through hardship? Can you ever know that without hardship? Can you know for experientially that God is faithful? Yes, you might be able to quote Psalms. You might be able to say, oh, God causes all things to work together for good. But how about in your life? 
Is He faithful? Do you know that for a fact? That's what verse 3 is trying to say. Knowing that the trials that you go through is the testing of your faith which produces and results in patience. That's why we can consider all joy. That's why verse 2 naturally and normally doesn't make sense to us. How can I consider it all joy? Well, because when you get to verse 3, we're told why. Because it's testing our faith, which will result in more patience. That's why we can consider it all joy. It's point number two. Point number three. <clears throat> the word translated patient re- refers to stick fortitude, grit, or persistence, endurance, staying power, in other words. Do you have the staying power? I love watching any of the Rocky movies. I don't know if you're a Rocky buff. But you know in there, when Rocky wants to give up, Mickey always tells him, no, go chase that chicken. It's good for you. If you can get the chicken, you will win. And likewise, we have to have that perseverance because we know that in the end, going after the hard work, trusting Him, walking by sight, not by walking by faith, not by sight, will result in more patience, more endurance, more Christ-likeness, in other words. That's a good thing. That's why we can consider it all joy. Because that's the byproduct of trusting in Him. That's the byproduct of knowing that it's the testing of your faith which will result in patience. Number four. The word translated patient refers to load-carrying capability. So that's that stress. It's a very... How much can you carry? How much can your faith sustain? Because remember, it's not... Faith, it's not God's power that's being evident here. It's the testing of your faith. Are you willing to wait it out? Trust Him. We don't walk by sight. Rather, we walk by faith. And now, your faith that you're claiming you have is being what? It's being tested. That's not a bad thing. You're being tested. Your spiritual life is being tested when you go through trials. Are you going to pass the test? How many of you have heard, oh, it's a test. Going through The trials that you're going through is a test. God is testing you. Well, here's the answer here. Here's an example. <clears throat> this is a passage that speaks to it. Count it all joy when you go through all sorts of trials, various trials. You'll be in camp. You'll be in a tar pit kind of trials. You can consider it all joy because by the time you get to the next verse, Freddie, you should know that the testing of your faith is going to result in more patience. Why is that so good? Because number one, you're trusting in God when you say you've been trusting in God. Number two, you get to see if God is faithful to His Word. Don't you want to know if God is faithful? Of course you do. So the only way you're going to be able to know that is if you allow the testing of your faith to produce patience. 
So hang in there, Freddie. Hang in there, Dan. Hang in there, David. Hang in there, Daisy, Larry, Brian. Because all the stuff that we're going through has been prophesied, has been told already in the book of James that we can expect trials. And when we do get hit with trials, guess, guess what? It's for our own good. It's part of the testing that comes. For who? What did we open with? For my brethren. Brethren, consider it all joy. What a strange way to start uh, verse 2, right? Consider it all joy when you get hit with trials, man. Huh? Because you should know that the testing of your faith will produce patience. Number five. Testing is directed towards the strength of your faith. Dokimion is the word to, for testing. Means to examine. Means to examine. The testing of your faith is being examined. Your faith is being examined. Who's examining your faith? The teacher. Who's the teacher? God. Remember what I said earlier? You might be able to tell your teacher that you know the answer. You're familiar with the test. As Mike is going through his exam in Schaefer Seminary, he might be able to tell his prof, yeah, prof, I get it now. Prof's going to know if Mike knows it when he submits his answers to the, the test. Or if you're taking a class from Dan, Pastor Dan, and he's grading your paper, you tell Pastor Dan, I got this. Pastor Dan is going to know whether or not you got it when you submit your papers to him. When he was one of the profs at uh, Capital, Capital Seminary, right? So likewise, this is the testing, the examining of your faith. That's point number five. And lastly, don't try to short-circuit a trial by seeking to exit out. This is where we'll conclude in verse 3. We have more to go in James, but this is where we'll stop. So point number six is don't try to short-circuit a trial by trying to exit out. What am I saying? Don't try to wiggle out of it. Don't say, Lord, where are you? Why, God? Why are you allowing this to happen? It's a testing moment for you. This is testing time. It's game on now. Give God a chance to reveal himself to you in a real way. Don't try to wiggle out of it and say, well, I, I, I don't get it. Knowing that the testing of your faith will result in patience. It's for your own good. This is part of the conforming you to the Christ-likeness. So that's why we can consider it all joy. Because he's doing a work in us. He's testing us to see where we are. Now, if we need to f- tighten things up a little bit, we can make the adjustments where necessary. That's designed, the testing is designed to show us where we have blind spots. Are we going to go through hardship? Are we going to go through difficulties where we feel like we can't bear up? Of course. How do we deal with it then? Faith. Don't walk by sight, but by faith. 
Is it easy? Sometimes it's easier said than done, correct? But that's the life of faith. Hang in there, knowing that God is doing something in your life. He's not leaving you hanging. He's doing something in your life. He's conforming you into the likeness of His Son. So these are two verses that are rich with meaning. Can Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, many trials that come impromptu and unexpected. They will hit you hard. You'll feel like just staying home. You don't want to do anything. Just would rather put a pillow over your head. Get up there. Get up. Fight. Lock shields. Walk and march. Jesus is just testing you. He wants to see if your allegiance is there. And he's conforming you into the likeness of his son. God is conforming you to the likeness of the son. Earlier I said, when we we talk about the reel-to-reel tapes or cassette tapes, I had mentioned that they are copies of the original. They're not the original themselves. But we're supposed to we have copies in our possession so that when we listen to it and hit play, we're getting it as if we were there in front of the colonel himself. You have the cassette tapes, the reel-to-reel tapes, the eight-track tapes, whatever you want to call it, in your possession. Do you have a Bible? Each and every one of you should own a Bible. This is your sword. This is, how, this is what we wield on a regular basis. So we gain, we take the copy and we internalize it and we show the world previews of a show that's coming in the near future. We're the previews. We have to show the world what they can expect. But they won't know unless we vocalize it and share. By the way, this is what a church is supposed to be doing, right? We're supposed to. Sometimes it's, uh, well, I'm not... I don't have the gift of an evangelist. I don't either. But what does the scripture say? Do the work of an evangelist. Did you know that? Every one of us is called to do the work of of an evangelist. But I don't have the gift of evangelist. No, but you're commanded to do the work of an evangelist. Show people what they can expect when they know the previews by your life, through your life, by your words, your choices, your decisions, your lifestyle even. Not proving that you're saved, but proving that you're a copy of the Master Himself. So so much so that it would draw people to Him. Have you ever seen, when you go to, to the mall, and outside inside the mall, how much time do we have? Oh, we're out of time, huh? In the mall... They have, uh, what, do, what do you call those plastic things when they have, uh, when it, it's wearing the jacket like this? Mannequins or dummies. <laughs> dummies, right? Mannequins. The mannequins are in the glass trying to get your attention. What is it supposed to do? What are they trying to do? Draw you near. Draw you near to what? You're right. They want you to come in because they know that if they could get you in their door, in their store, they can try to get you to buy other stuff. 
We're the mannequins. We're to draw people to us. Not to us just so they would see us, so they would see Him. We should be drawing people to Christ. We're trying to take a picture of what's up there, bring it down here. So people will know what Christianity is all about. Like I said, 9-11 wreaked havoc on America and we're still feeling the impact of several men who committed themselves and were willing to lay their lives down and killed many people, including their own lives. They've risked their own lives. Are you willing to risk your life for Christ? They were. They did it for evil cause. We should be able to do it for His cause because He is the one Master who is worthy of our best and our everything. Father, thank You as always for giving us the opportunity to examine Your Word today. May we be bold in our testimony and sharing of the Gospel and introducing people to Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, that you have extended grace to each and every one of us so that by believing in Christ, we can have life everlasting. And perchance, if anyone's going to be listening to this later, the issue, if you're not a believer in Christ, is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then the issue now is to count it all joy when you encounter trials, various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, which means in the end that you're being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, his likeness. We thank you, Father, for this time, and we ask all of these things through Christ's name. Amen.